curious, competitive, compassionate. Salespeople are drawn to their careers in much the same way musicians are drawn to music. Once you've learned the language of sales, the beauty is in your ability to personally interpret what you've learned to suit your personality, your interest, and your skill. My name is Roger Burnett, and this is the So You're In Sales podcast, where we consider ways to grow as people as we advance in our careers and learn firsthand from those ahead of us on the path to accelerate our journey. I'm lucky to get to talk every two weeks with entrepreneurs, business owners, thought leaders, authors, and people of all walks of life, each with a unique story to share and a look at their lessons along the way. Prepare to be educated, informed, entertained, and inspired. This is the So You're In Sales Podcast. The So You're In Sales Podcast is sponsored by Social Good Promotions. Social Good Promotions was founded on the premise that any business can stand out from their competition when they are doing things they really believe in. True success these days is measured by the ways your employees feel about working for you and the ways your business is making the community a better place. Ultimately, it's about the ways you and your business will be remembered. If you're looking to grow your sales revenue while activating social good at the same time, we'll be your favorite marketing partner ever. Book a meeting with us at socialgoodpromotions.com, follow us on Instagram at sogoodpromo, and let's get connected. We've done great work using our unique and effective strategy. Let us show you how. Now, on with the show. As he puts the finishing touches on what was his 20th year as the president and CEO of Promotional Products Association International, the trade association charged with the stewardship and growth of the promotional products industry, I welcome Paul Bellantone back to the show as we take a look back at the year that was 2019 and the ways the predictions we made for the year did and did not come true. I've come to look forward to these annual wrap-ups as Paul truly has the 50,000-foot perspective on the promotional products industry and the ways the economy and shifting attitudes in Washington may or may not have an effect on sales as a discipline in general. He's a good friend, a willing contributor, and a great interview. So even if you don't call the promotional marketing industry your home, I guarantee there'll be items of value for you should you be willing to give this one a listen. So year three, welcome year three, Paul. I'm glad this is getting to be a thing now. Well, it's great. It's a nice way to wrap up the year. It actually helps me put some things in perspective as well. Yeah, and I, it's like when in the calendar do I start reaching out to Paul and saying, all right, it's getting to be time. Get your head together. Yeah. Like we got, we got to go tell the people <laughs> what it is that we want to tell the people. And so, you know, the fun part about the show this year, Paul is um, for the first couple of years, it, it was mostly industry focused as far as who the listenership was. But now as the distributorship has grown, we've got people from outside the industry who will hear what we have to say this year as well. So it's a, it's a somewhat shifting perspective on who it is we're talking to and the things that we want everyone to know. But, you know, at the end of the day, regardless of whether it's promotional products or whatever it is that the person who's listening is selling, it's about how how do you take what it is that's happening in the world and apply it in a manner that allows you to have a strategic or a competitive advantage. And it doesn't really matter what you're selling when it comes to that. It's, you know, taking a look at the year that was and, trying to figure out how to apply that in the year forward. So I'm, I'm grateful for your perspective there. 
Well, it's where the rubber meets the road. You know, you can you can have all great ideas and you can plan out your year, but at the end of the day, how did you how did you communicate it? How did you apply your strategy? How did you execute? So, yeah, I think it's larger than just our industry. No doubt, no doubt. So, you had a chance to uh, get some questions from me to get give some thought to what it is that we wanted to talk about. And one of the things that we've really never done that I wanted to start with this year was from your perspective, you know, I think uh, 27 billion is the number that I often toss around when it comes to promotional products. And we'll see where that number comes out as we measured the year that was 2019. But from your perspective within our four walls, that is the promotional marketing industry. What was kind of like the biggest thing that you think that happened this year? Oh boy. From an, from an industry standpoint, I've, it's been fun to watch the resilience of the industry in a period of uncertainty. Uh, last year at this time, we were talking about tariffs. We were talking about uncertainty um, just in terms of trade. There was a lot of uh, saber rattling. And I think our industry fared well. I think that the people did what they had to do and they got out and they met with their customers and they talked about the value of promotional products. And overall, I would say that we've had a good year. You know, we've watched, we've watched a lot of consolidation on both the supplier and the distributor side. I also think that there are some favorable aspects to that. I think with, through consolidation, we saw companies making greater investments in compliance and technology, and those are the things that are going to move our industry move our industry forward. Say the one micro thing that kind of follows the macro marketplace in general is we're we're seeing a little bit more of the haves and have nots. Roger, you know when we look at the industry growth over the past year, we've seen the numbers that are telling us that the larger companies are growing disproportionately faster than the smaller companies, and I think that is because of their ability to invest in things that are important to their clients. Technology is expensive, compliance is expensive. There's twenty two thousand distributor companies out there. And those that have resources are growing faster than those that do not. I'm living proof of that being the small distributor that we are today. But yet, you know that in various stages of my career, I've worked for both big and small companies. And the confidence that I can have as a small business person from the perspective of the things that I can present to a prospect from what tools and services am I able to marry into my sale or the relationship that I'm trying to build with an organization and convince them that social good promotions would be a willing and able partner for them is different when you're under a million dollars in sales versus when you cross that million dollar threshold, when you cross the $5 million threshold and so on and so forth. But most importantly, I feel like the difference is not necessarily in whether or not there's tools available to me to allow me to compete on a technology play. There are. But what I see of my brothers and sisters in the industry or really my brothers and sisters in sales who have businesses of this size is a, a, maybe a lack of awareness of A, the fact that those technological tools exist, B, that there's partners available to them that should they be willing to spend the money that can actually bring those services to bear on behalf of my organization, and C, 
and really probably most importantly for where we are on the calendar is the willingness of that brother or sister to think that that's what they need to be doing and putting a fair amount of time and effort into evaluating who those partners would be, applying budget as a line item for next year to technology or, or whatever it is, be it website, be it whatever, you know, uh, being a better um, what better marketed organization to cost money. And if you're not budgeting for those things, the likelihood of you being able to present that way so that a customer would see you in a manner that would allow you to compete is going to be impacted. I'm not just throwing out a gratuitous compliment to you here though, Roger, but the, the fact that you're even having this conversation at this level, you're managing your business from a big company mindset. I don't know and, and this isn't a knock on what our industry is or the sizes of the company, but you're applying some of the same metrics that you had when you were with the larger company in an investment mindset versus a survival mindset where a lot of our smaller distributors are in right now. So yeah, you're, you're a smaller distributor. You're, you're currently wrestling with some of the challenges of a small distributor, but you're doing it with a growth and large company mindset. You know what the resources are out there. And I think that because you've, you've been in touch with them and you've worked with those companies that provide those resources. I, I think that many of our smaller distributors are too busy trying to, to do the right things for their customers on a day-to-day basis to not look up and see, okay, what's the next iteration of my business going to look like? I get where you are. I get where you are in, in the scheme of things, but I don't know that it's it's comparable. Well, I was really surprised to see when it came time to make that evaluation. Let's not kid ourselves, Paul. I mean, the economy was good. I I don't think there's hardly anyone that I've been able to find to say that they've had a bad year. And so if you're focused solely on getting the orders out the door, which many of us in good economies are forced to make sure that we're getting the orders out the door. You don't afford yourself the opportunity to spend any time whatsoever working on the business because you're just so dedicated to working in it. And there's nothing wrong with that. But absent any scheduled time for yourself to think about what your business should look like if you've gotten some profit, which I suspect there's been some profit taking this year, there's going to be reinvestments made. You really have to be purposeful in thinking about where you might want to place those bets to give yourself the best opportunity to really not to use too many gambling terms, but to turn that into a parlay. If I want to take that dollar and turn it into three, what am I going to do in order to give myself the best shot at that? And what I was shocked to see coming back to the distributor side of things was there's so many partners out there that I wasn't even aware of that have really good tools and great services available to that person who may be seeking what to do with that dollar to turn it into three. So I guess moral of the story here is all of you folks out there who are listening in listener land, if there's this sounds like something you know you should be considering, spend some time in it, schedule it into your calendar, give yourself a, a fighting chance to figure it out. And we have this big trade show coming up somewhere in out west there in Vegas in the sand. You know, if you yeah. if you want to find out any of that information, you know, it's all under one roof. Thanks to Paul and his team over there at PPAI. So thanks to an industry, really, you know, we were faced with a moment of, of challenge this year from a, a regulatory perspective, given there was a certain uh, Iowa Senator who was suggesting that perhaps our advertising medium should be banned from promotion of agencies within the federal government, uh, promoting the work that they do. And it's funny how that was a little bit misreported as far as what the intent of 
what was being suggested as opposed to she's just saying the promotional products should be banned in the government. That really wasn't what was going on there. Talk a little bit about sort of how that went down and how that played out with respect to what was able to occur because of the, the lobbying efforts that the industry has been able to invest in. Yeah, so you're talking about piece of legislation that was introduced. I think the date of the introduction was like October 29th or October 30th. And it was a senator from Iowa who the bill number was 2722. The, <laughs> the, the catchy title to it was the SWAG Act, or actually the anti-SWAG Act. How clever for it to be stop wasteful advertising in government. You know, when it, when it has a nice catchphrase and you talk about wasteful spending and it gets people's attention. I'm a lobbyist for the association. I run the association from a staff perspective, but I'm also a citizen, right? I, I pay taxes. I have kids, have a home. I don't want wasteful government spending either, you know, and it's not my industry that we're talking about. I'm all in favor of it. So we dug into this bill a little bit and you're right it was a little it was a little bit overstated what the senator was looking to do what the original language said was agencies should not be spending money on products and advertising solely for the purpose of promoting their agency. It wasn't necessarily about the things that the agency was doing. It was about self-promotion. Because in that same thing, it said there shouldn't be money spent on developing mascots or, you know, there, it, was, it was kind of all over the map a little bit. We, we get an alert that this piece of legislation is coming up. A couple of things. One, it talked specifically about products and it talked about physical advertising. I think it, it may have used the dreaded T word for tchotchke or trinkets and, you know, had swag in there, which makes me nervous anyway. So it just so happened that I was going to DC that weekend on my own, just a, a, a getaway weekend. So it was very easy for me just to, to call on some contacts that I had and get there a day early. So really within two days, I was in DC with our lobbyist prepared to talk to both the Senator's office and then the co-signer, which was Rand Paul's office. The thing that was wonderful about this was that we had a member, Stephanie Critchfield with the, the Vernon company out of Iowa, who had a relationship with the senator's office, which is what we've been preaching for years. It's, it's let's nurture those con contacts. So we were able to get an appointment really the next day. I, we, you know, I think the bill was introduced on a Wednesday. We talked to Stephanie on a, a Thursday. Friday morning, we were in the senator's office. And the message was one of, hey, we get what you're trying to do. We understand that nobody wants wasteful spending and we shouldn't be spending money just to spend money. The same things we tell our regular customers, right? And they said, well, what do you propose? And we said, well, we'd like to propose some language that we think actually accomplishes what you're trying to accomplish. And we were able to use some of their, some of their own language in the bill to support our argument. In that bill, they actually talked about some carve-outs. They said groups, agencies that could use promotional products and advertising for the military for the purpose of recruiting and retention for the the census which has successfully used promotional products the last two go around and we were able to say if they work for these groups maybe they should be held up as benchmarks and best practices of how physical advertising can be used and they were willing to listen to the language so the language that we've 
submitted. So fast forward three weeks, we had our D.C. lobbyist, Cliff Andrews and Ann Stone, who you know here in the office, our, our chief legislative person here, went to D.C., met with the two offices and submitted our language that basically said you need to have a demonstrated ROI. You need to go into it with a purpose. And what is your intention? A measurable goal. And then you need to show that the vehicle of advertising that you're using, whether it's an advert, an ad or a radio spot or promotional products, needs to be the most effective means of, of reaching the audience. And I would say that while that raises the bar a little bit for us as an industry, Roger, that's what we should be doing any day, every day. And I, out of all of those other media that we compete against, I think we have the most measurable want. So from my perspective, if we can get this language to stick all the way through the, you know, the development of a bill, I think we win. We actually become the demonstrated leader of advertising because we're actually setting a standard that other media should be using. Now, yes, there are going to be some members of ours that are saying the agency I worked with in government has never asked me to, to reach that hurdle. And I would say, well, maybe that's the reason why we are where we are. Right. Totally. Because we haven't done the best job. Certainly, we know that we work, but every once in a while, we should back up and prove the fact and, and, and remind our, our members and our customers that promotional products work. You know, it, it's an easy thing for us, Roger, to go in there and say, you know, the, the same stuff that got you elected is the stuff that's going to help you get programs, uh, you know, government programs to be effective and work as well. I think that the bar should be a little bit higher than that, than just us saying it. We went there with cases and we talked about where promotional products work. We talked about the census. We talked about the military branches. So they, they were trying to tackle two things. One was they didn't want advertising just for advertising sake of the agency. The second one was they wanted to make sure that, that the government agencies were staying in their lane. And I'll give you an example. You know, why did you put coloring books? Why was that specifically called out in your program. And they said, well, the Coast Guard had distributed coloring books about water pollution. And I said, well, isn't that a noble thing? Isn't that a good thing? And they said, well, it is, but it's not the Coast Guard's job. That would uh -huh. be the EPA. Uh -huh. So they had to stay in their lane. And I said, yeah, because you, you don't want to single out coloring books, for instance, because you know the Food and Drug Administration probably could find some pretty good reasons to have coloring books to get kids to talk about food pyramids and sure. healthy, you know, food choices. So you watch these light bulbs go off as you're having the conversation and they say, you know what, none of this was intentional. You're collateral damage in a bigger picture. It's really the spirit of cooperation between the agencies and the constituents, which we are, that I think we've made strides with in our legislative work over the years. I, th I think people are intimidated, Roger. They, they think about their elected official and they're like, well, I'm not going to go talk to them. They really do want to hear from us. Yeah. I mean, besides what you're seeing on TV, and we have this you know, circus going on with the impeachment right now and trade wars and tweets and all of these different things, our legislative officials, I believe, by and large, do care, and they want to hear from their constituents, and we prove that in this case. Sometimes the boogeyman that you don't know can be your undoing, and yep. I'm not saying that we as business owners need to have one eye over our shoulder all the time searching for boogeymen that would create a lot of paranoia. However, if you haven't established a relationship with the people 
who are supposed to be protecting you. I mean, in much the same way, you're the president of a trade association that is supposed to assist my business and make sure that it's protected and safe. If I don't have a relationship with you, then I can't be certain that the job is getting done to the degree that I need it to be done. And that could be a potential problem that could ultimately be the undoing of my business because I wasn't paying any attention. So why wouldn't you at least create a relationship with the people, especially when they're back in your community and saying, I have office hours, come see me. They really do want to see you. And I know it seems like, ah, bah, you know, they don't, they don't, the politicians are politicians. But in reality, if you've not established a relationship, you can't communicate the value of what you do in a way that that person knows that when they're off fighting the wars for their constituents, that you're one of the people that need to be protected. I have a, a highly skilled trained staff that could go to D.C. and talk about promotional products all day long. The fact that we had a member from that, that state go to that office and say, I hire hundreds of people. I'm a X million dollar company. This is going to hurt my business. Having that member share that, that truth with them, I think is the thing that makes a difference. So I, too, thank those members who every year on their own dime go to D.C., talk to their legislators, do it in their home territories as well. So I wanted to uh, shift gears. I, most people know this, Paul, while you are the president and CEO and you are completing your 20th year of service to the organization. We thank you for that. You, uh-huh. re- you report to a board of directors and that board... Yep is a dynamic and diverse group of people. I I think in a lot of ways, our industry oftentimes mirrors the GDP. So if the economy is doing well, we're typically doing well. And because we've had, you know, a fair, a fairly long run of healthy economies, regardless of whether it's growing fast or growing slow, it's been growing. And so consequently, our industry has grown as well. But what I think you and I have seen is that we're starting to outpace GDP growth here in the last few years, which is really encouraging. Sure. What's what's the attitude of the board been over the course of the last 12 months, and where do you see things headed that people might be surprised to hear? It's, it's a great question. And generally, the boards, like all boards and all associations, even ones that I serve on, there's always a pendulum swing. You know, that they go from being highly engaged in details of the organization, and it swings back, and there a lot of it is driven by the personality of the chair or the incoming chair. Are they detail? Are they left brain people or right brain people? Are they sales and marketing people? Are they more technical operational people? I would say over the last couple of years, the board has gotten more interested in some of the day-to-day operations of the association. And I think it's been very well received by the staff. I think the board is comfortable in that place. But I also look at that, I take that a little bit as a compliment. I, I, I take that as a positive as to the fact that the industry, you know, they're not out there worrying about where the next member is coming from and where the next dollar is coming from and, you know, and membership is declining. So we're, we're, we've been enjoying success at the association. We're larger than we've ever been, both in terms of new members, retention, finances, what we're investing. When, when those things are kind of off the table, they tend to look a little bit more closely at the individual products and services that we have. And I would say that that's where they are right now. Same way people should be doing in their own businesses. You know, you, you had said before, instead of just working in the business, they're working on their business right now. And it's easier to do that when things are going well than when things are, are tougher. I would say the biggest change, Roger, that I'm, I'm most impressed with with our board is we went from a, a generalist type of board to a competency-based 
for. And, and that was very intentional. It's just what, what the board actually does is starting last year, they actually go through each of their skill sets. We, we ask every board member to identify what are their areas of strength and, and map that out. And we actually give that to them on a kind of a survey. Then we match up that against what does the board believe that they're, what skill sets do they think board members will need three to five years from now? And then we do a gap analysis. You know, for, for instance, Dale Denham's leaving the board this year. We think that we're going to need more people with technology experience on the board. So let's give that information to the leadership advisory committee to help us identify that competency that we believe the board is going to need. It's certainly allowing us to make sure we have the right people at the right time talking and doing the right thing. I, I give the board a lot of credit for that, for, for identifying the fact that, you know, generalists are good and we have a number of those on the board, but a lot of the conversations are around things that are beyond the scope of the generalist. So when you think about that from a business person's perspective, instead of focusing on the places that people are weak, why not continue to give the person a chance to just repeatedly and consistently be strong. Let them flourish in the places where they're strongest so that they don't have to worry so much about their weaknesses because chances are you can scale that person's strength much more quickly than you can bring up where they're maybe deficient. Why not just if someone has a skill, just give them every opportunity possible to use yeah. that skill to the benefit of the organization and then don't expect that that person should be responsible for the area where they're weak. Okay, so last year, one of the things that we talked about was this influx of venture capital money into the space and whether that was something to be happy about and cheer or if that was something to be worried about. And I think we came out on it's a good thing that we like the idea that um, people that look at us from outside what we do think that we're worthy of their investment. And I had asked whether or not you had any predictions on what you thought that money was going to do. And we both agreed that that was probably pretty difficult to predict. But here we are at the end of those 12 months. And while the pace of that, I think, may have slowed a bit, I'm wondering if you have any more insight on where we think that these bets that are being made in our space are going to pay off. Any, any thoughts there? Well, I... I do. I'm, I'm still overall positive on, on money moving into our marketplace because I think to, for us to compete in a, a technology-driven, fast-paced world, we need to have resources. I'm seeing the dollars that are moving into the marketplace. Um, you know, they're, they're generally the folks that I see sitting in my tech summit or sitting in product responsibility summit. These are the mm -hmm. companies that I'm seeing doing the you know, the, the acquisitions or the mergers or, or being um, funded by outside dollars. So to me, that's a good thing. These are companies that are going to elevate the level of business in our industry. Now, it certainly has, it certainly makes things more competitive for, you know, th th there's a trickle down on that obviously there's there's companies that are finding it harder to compete because they don't have access to those dollars the association itself is being affected by it you know when, when two big companies come together they're, they're generally not taking twice as much boot space at the expo the expo funds some of the things that we do so yeah there's there's certainly unintended consequences of those dollars but overall if we were to play the long game in this i would say 
that having those dollars in the marketplace is actually elevating the perception of our industry, but also the things that our members are able to accomplish. Our, our two most successful conferences this year were tech and product responsibility. They're, they're the ones that have the growing attendance. Um, I look at that as positive. And if I thought that the companies were just investing in technology so that they can shave costs and drive their bottom line, I would probably have a different feeling about mm-hmm. about it. But I'm watching them take the dollars that they can potentially save and reinvest it into the industry and into their businesses. That's a good reason to have efficiency. But this is a chance for Uncle Paul to, to give his words of wisdom to folks about like, what's if you if you could tell the people just one thing as we're closing this out for the year, what would you want people to hear? Well, I think it's a reality that I've come to recognize. So last year when we when we spoke, we talked about our businesses having the confidence to evolve, that we, you know, we're deep rooted in this history of a successful industry. People know they love promotional products. They know they love their industry. So we should take that and use that to help build the confidence to evolve. What I've found though, and and it's even happened in my own business here is that it's hard to break what you built. Hmm. Think about that a little bit. You know, you, you, we've, we've doubled down on a model. We've doubled down on the people that we've hired. We've doubled down on a, on a strategic plan. And sometimes it's harder, it's harder in reality than it is on paper to say, you know what, we need to change that. We've grown accustomed to it. We've invested in it. We've, you know, it's gotten us as far as we have. I think especially when times are good and and our industry has enjoyed good times, it's hard to say that this isn't going to last forever. I would say those three things, have the confidence to evolve, recognize that there, um, that it is difficult to break what you built. It's just counterintuitive to, to do that. But then, um, there was something that a staff member here used to, to say about how to affect change. And it's gentle pressure relentlessly applied. Sometimes not so many things happen just, you know, like a light switch, turn it on, turn it off. A lot of times it just takes constant prodding and pushing and pulling incrementally. Not everything's going to be exponential. Don't get, don't get down on it if you can't do it. There's a recognition. You, it's hard to break what you built, but it doesn't mean that it's not changeable. Evolution, not revolution. And Absolutely. Awesome. So I'm going to leave you with something, Roger, though, before I'm going to end one with you. And I actually did another call, but there are 21 days left in this decade, not in this year, not, not in this month, but in this decade. What would you tell people to think about as we approach the 2020s? So what, what are your thoughts on that, that, that this is the end of a decade at this moment and you're going to be, what would you leave your listeners with? It, it's been a tumultuous 10 years. It really has. And with the advent of social media, I mean, this has been the social media decade with disinformation and bots and fake news and, you know, vitriol and, uh, you know, all, all of ha- the ha- hatred, like literally just we've created an environment where shouting and being mean to one another is suddenly in vogue again. I've firmly stood on the other side of that transaction and said, I choose good. I choose kindness. And it was your, it was your parting thoughts last year was to be kind. And I believe that in this environment, it's very, very easy to get um, discouraged. 
And if you look around, there's all kinds of news outlets and, and, and social media feeds that are encouraging you to be discouraged and, and feeding sure. off of the, the idea that it's an awful time and everyone is miserable and we're so divided. And yet kindness to me has never been more prevalent as a reaction to all of that. And, you know, my business has really been based solely on the idea that kindness wins. And I believe it with all of my heart. I've seen it in the relationships that I've been able to develop even in just the last 12 months. And it's largely because I'm not necessarily really worried about whether the person that I'm meeting that day is going to spend money with me. I'm really more interested in learning about who they are as people, understanding what it is that they're challenged and trying to accomplish on a day in and day out basis and seeing if there's any way that what I do might be able to help them in some way, whether or not that means that they're going to spend a dollar with me or if it's just I'm going to give them a piece of information that might somehow help them overcome whatever it is they're, they're faced with in that moment, knowing full well that nothing may come of it, but not really caring. Because if I helped, then I believe that cosmically in some way, shape or form, that's going to re be repaid to me. And I, 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 you know, I just don't focus so much on how much money came into the door today. And certainly, you know, I, I say this every single time, success is oftentimes measured in dollars and cents. And I, I haven't lost sight of that fact. However, those dollars and cents are not central to my sales efforts on a day in and day out basis. It's seeking out kindness and finding ways to apply what I have in a way that people would feel like I help make the world a better place. And so those would be my words is, you know, this is a digital age, but th there's never been uh, a bigger need for that human to human contact. And I I I've been gratified. And in many ways, our business has been validated by using that as our strategy. Well, once again, to end this where we started this, you play the long game. If, if you were worried about the day-to-day, -day, you wouldn't be able to to take that strategy of it doesn't matter whether or not I get the sale today. It's about a relationship. It's about filling a need. It's about building trust. And and I, maybe that's the way that we should wrap this one up and we'll come back next year and, and see if, it, if it's still um, a viable way of doing it. But it's back to kindness. A little bit as Ringo Starr says, peace and love. <laughs> and, um, you know, and play the long game. Play a long game. Let's not just worry about it. Yep. I appreciate you, Paul. Have a great new year. Happy holidays to you, sir. And I look forward to seeing you in Las Vegas. Same to you and your family. Bye-bye.